Hey all you heavenly humans, I'm Mandile and welcome to And Other Things, a podcast about navigating life, learning from past experiences, embracing growing pains and laughing along the way. Meet me right here every week for thoughtful conversation, challenging discussion and an all-round great time. Hi everyone, happy Monday. Today I'm coming to you with low energy, lower than usual, and just a full mind. So today's episode, in honor of Juneteenth and the celebration of all things Black and African diaspora, was supposed to be about black hair, which is a topic that I love to talk about, but instead, I decided that because I am currently personally struggling with my own mental health, that I would share an episode that I had planned to share in July actually. So it's an episode with my good friend Buckley and he's basically like my brother and he's been on the potty before and in this episode he shares his journey of mental health, the highs the low lows and how he's been working through all of that and it's such a vulnerable episode. I will share my own mental health struggles in a future episode but for today I hope you will find a lot of value in Buckley's story because listening back to it, it has honestly helped me to think about my own current mental state which is absolutely crap at the moment if I'm being honest and as I was preparing for this episode for the party of the week segment I realized that I actually don't listen to any podcasts that tackle mental health which says a lot about how I actually think about mental health and how much of a priority it has been in my life because as I've said on this podcast I listen to podcasts religiously and I listen, I think I'm subscribed to 40, 40 plus podcasts and none of them are solely about mental health. That said, today's potty of the week is not entirely mental health focused, but the host does talk about her struggles in a couple of episodes and she's a mental health advocate. So it's called The Uncomfortable Podcast and it's hosted by Dom Roberts. She talks about a lot of uncomfortable topics, as the name suggests, with different guests, including her mental health lows because she does struggle with depression and anxiety and I love her candor and her matter-of-factness in discussing her mental health struggles. It's just really refreshing and as always that podcast will be linked in the show notes. Okay, last thing before we get into my discussion with Buckley. This episode does include mentions of suicide, substance abuse, sexual assault and other mental health related trauma. So just beware as you're listening to this. Please, listeners, dear listeners, heavenly humans, 
look after yourself take care of yourselves take care of the people around you check in with yourself check in with those around you yes just look after yourselves (laughs) okay here's my incredibly valuable chat with buckley Hi, Buck. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? I am doing pretty great. Yes, I went to bed, I wouldn't say early, but one. <laughs> that's not even <laughs> early. <laughs> no, but that's that's like a first for me because it's always, yeah, like either super late or mm. like super early. So I'm glad it was between, you know, like 10 and three. So yeah. <laughs> you're crazy um yeah on the other side i i slept late which is one for me that's like really really late for me because i usually sleep at like around 10 30 11 so i'm tired but i'm so excited to be speaking with you today about mental health and for the listeners who don't know buckley has actually been on the podcast before he we did an episode on what it means to be a black man And today we're going to be talking about mental health as a black man and self-care. But to start off, before we get into that, how are you? What's up? What's been going on with life? Oh, yeah. Um, And thank you. Thanks for having me today Mm -hmm. and before. Um, But I'm feeling relatively fine. I think that's the answer for like this Mm. pandemic for like a lot of people. Uh, You don't want to just be overly you know, deceitful, I believe. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing great. But, you know, we're all feeling, I, I feel like, the brunt of this pandemic. But mm. I think what's important is just, you know, keeping your head up, um, yeah. just, you know, going. And that's that's been my motto uh, mm. these past few days. So some of it is challenging and difficult, you know, especially mental health-wise. But, um, yeah, just hanging in there. Good, good for you. Good for you. That's good to hear. So let's start off by defining what mental health means to each of us. So you can go first. What does mental health mean to you? Um, so you know I always have to <laughs> to flip the, the thing a little bit. But to me, <laughs> mental health, um, I wouldn't even define it uh, mm. per se um, and just keep it there in the sense that, again, for those who don't know, um, like Mandela, I grew up in Zimbabwe, but on yes. the other side, uh, Bulawayo. Uh, but mental health, um, I learned about mental health. Um, so I migrated to the United States um, in 2013, so like eight, nine years ago. Um, and I didn't know what mental health was. Um, and even when I came here uh, or arrived in the U.S., I had to spend a few years uh, before really figuring out what mental health was. Um, so yeah, I, 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 to me, mental health is something not talked about Mm -hmm. at all, just from my own perspective and just to reflect, uh, my childhood and how I, I got introduced into, you know, resources, whether that be a therapist, um, books, Ted talks. So, um, all that came to me after, um, I would say the lowest of all lowest points and then just having to, 
you know, try everything and anything because again, to make the, the answer even more, you know, complicated mental health uh, to me or to my community in Bulawayo, or whether, you know, the community at large or Zimbabwe was always, you know, this thing that you see in television um, or this thing that, you know, the white Americans do or the Europeans do. So no one even bothered to um, say, define it or really go into it or look at um, what it was. It was always this, you know, foreign um, thing without even a negative or positive, you know, connotation, but just this foreign thing um, that people um, did, I mm. guess, experience, which we, we couldn't fathom. Um, of course, now I have my own uh, definitions and meanings for it, but I think it was just important to highlight, you know, my entry point to mental health, which was that, that, you know, it's something that I just didn't know of, mm. or which wasn't talked about at all. Yeah, I absolutely resonate with that. So for me, mental health is, I guess I'm speaking from how I view it now, is just taking care of your mind and just the the well-being of your thoughts and the way that you think about things or the way that you go through life so I feel like it's more internal and more spiritual than say physical health um but yeah going back to we were both raised in Zimbabwe and for me um as is the case in a lot of African homes like you pointed out mental health wasn't as prioritized or as emphasized as physical health or spiritual health you know church and all those things um but my my experience was I I didn't hear about it as being a foreign thing but I didn't hear about it at all so I kind of had I guess that's an advantage because in my household it was never stigmatized but it was never encouraged you know to look after your mental health what was your experience what were the kinds of things that you going you know you said that it, it was something that was foreign to you but did you see other people struggling with their mental health looking back in retrospect did you ever feel like you struggled with your mental health and you couldn't place a name on what you were going through when you were in Zimbabwe or South Africa I mean um yeah so so as a condition I think people knew about it and people experienced mm. it I mean we had people in my family who um, had diagnosed, you know, mental health um, uh, challenges such as, you know, being unable to speak or, you know, chemical imbalances, things of that sort. So I think in the medical sense, it was very visible mm. uh, in the sense that we did have a few family members um, who had those challenges. And the answer uh, was always twofold. So you either go and see a doctor um, or you take it to God. So that's what yes. my <laughs> that's what my grandmother always says. So you see a doctor or you take it to God. Um, and then when it came, because um, mental health, as we know, can manifest itself in, in various forms. So either that visible, um, or mm. if you're if you're if you're talking about things like sadness or you know depression or being in a bad headspace in general. So I did experience those things and they, I, I had a lot of friends who just like me had, you know, the parents abroad, um, but really didn't understand why um, and why it had to be so um, complicated and so um, distant, you know, like where's mom, where's dad. So there was always that. But then 
I would go to my grandmother and talk about those things that, hey, I'm not feeling well. Um, and, you know, I feel emotional and I feel these things. And the answer would always be, take it to God. You know, if it's not something visibly medical, um, take it to God. Um, in the sense that, yeah, we, we see what you're talking about. We've seen it again on television. You know, the therapist scene, the famous Hollywood therapist scene. Yeah. Um, but what is that? Again, mm. you know, very foreign and, and television-esque thing. Just take it to God. Um, or be grateful and, and, you know, do something mm. else. Um, so there's this story of um, this cow is just a quick, just briefly, like a quick TED talk where yeah. this guy uh, wasn't feeling well. And I think he had a mental health, um, he had mental health challenges. And then his community went about to buy him a cow and then he became you know, productive and then that went away. So I think although that's a legitimate and valid story that kind of was like the standard um, in Bulawayo, um, at least Woodville where I grew up, um, that you know, people, the economy is bad, people are just trying to eat and survive and go to school. Yeah. So when it comes to just semantics and details of who I feel, I feel, again, take it to God or mm. play with the cows or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that, that was sort of like the, um, the, the lived experience for me in terms of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because in in African cultures and I, I guess I can only speak from Zimbabwean culture, from Shona culture, that we use a lot of parables to or parables or um, folk tales, folklore to explain a lot of the ways that we move throughout the world or to explain why certain things happen. Like, you know, how the cheetah got its spots because it cheated someone into doing something then it fell in some mud or something and then it was stained, you know? So that's interesting to hear that there was some kind of the same situation for um, mental health. I think that that's really interesting as a coping mechanism is to go back to your roots and say, okay, I don't know what to do with this, but as a tradition, you know, we farm cows, we we are close with animals. And so maybe that's something that can get us back to our roots, which I think is something interesting to explore. But um, when you would, did you ever take it to God? And if you did, what was that like? Were you super spiritual? Did you go to church and like kneel and pray and say, God, I'm struggling? Or did that automatically shut you down? Um, I, I think like a lot of children I grew up around, God was always a dread, uh, mm. <laughs> just to put it plainly. Um, so I, I am still God-fearing. I'm very spiritual. Um, I do believe in God, Christian. Yeah. Um, but the way God um, was introduced, at least the God um, I knew as a child, um, was not you know, the kind, mm. caring, loving, and approachable God. Um, it was always, you know, go and make your confession. Yeah. If you sin, you'll go to hell. So don't. <laughs> um, and try as hard as you can to um, just go to heaven and stuff. So to me, it was very unapproachable, mm. uh, just based on the intensity in which, you know, it was done, just praying and being spiritual in my household. And it seemed to me as something, you know, only my grandmother could do. So praying, 
being close to God, participating in church. Because even in church, I mean, I would go to church um, and we would just be bored, the kids. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> what, what, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. So that, so that was, uh, the I guess, childhood friend with uh, mm. spiritual. So yeah, I, I didn't take it to God. I, I did think about it or entertain it, but I didn't even think I had, you know, the capacity to pray um or anything because even during family meetings when my grandmother would say well pray for us it would be you know well here we are thank you amen Um, (laughs) and that would be uh, um, sort of like the little prayer but um yeah so there was definitely television for me books um, all the Mm. other escapes um and just to emphasize that as well too so it was always just an escape to something and not really confronting it head on and saying, hey, God, this is me. I'm processing my feelings. Mm. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, so you, when you were in Zimbabwe, you stayed with your grandma. You lived with your grandma, right? Like she she basically raised you while your mom was in the States. Your parents were in the States, right? And so when you came to the States, how did that atmosphere around mental health and the conversation change for you not only in terms of now being I guess taken away from your grandma or or leaving your grandma behind as someone who raised you you know someone you were really close with but also now being in a country where mental health is not stigmatized where this is the place that you were seeing on tv where they had you know the typical therapist so talk a little bit about that uh so it goes very dark and downhill (laughs) <laughs> but but I'm an open book <laughs> and I'm willing to share because you know the the way uh my story works just to set the scene and not be so shocking um and and I'm not I won't even entertain you know the details or semantics is about just you know themes and relevance but sure in my family it really took very drastic details uh for people to really start paying attention and saying well what mm. to even not to acknowledge the mental health um, reality and need um, and just saying, hey, this is just a, a kid with um, unmet needs or a young man with unmet needs. But even just confronting, you know, just the subject, like, okay, mm. mental, what is that? Health, yeah. what? Is... And what I mean by that is that um, when I came here, um, the stigma, yes, wasn't there on, you know, again, the television show where I'd originally seen that, uh, you know, the classic therapist scene. Um, and, you know, it, it, with some of my friends, you know, that's when I started hearing, you know, stories and things I had mm. never heard before. Like, oh, people get kicked out of their houses by their parents here over in America. Um, and I'm sure other places as well. Yeah. Um, so then mental health became something I could talk about. You know, mm. and I could relate with some people here that, hey, um, you know, yeah. So I could relate and say, yeah, here we are. Uh, I just met my mom or you too. Okay. I'm from a foreign country, assimilation, being bullied, yeah. you know, newfound um, issues as well for mental health. So for me, it's shifted from uh, being that um, lonesome, confused um child like way sorry down. can i pause you how old were you when you came to the states so i was 13 okay wow so yeah. you were just coming into puberty okay yes so there was there was that transition 
question um, um, for me. And just for context, before I answer your question, um, to me, what solidified um, even that mental, what I call it, the beginnings of, mm. you know, this big mental health crisis, uh, which for me lasted for like five years, uh, and counting. Well, I've found solutions, so I've been making progress. But yeah. the way I came into this country was, again, you leave everybody home. Mm. Um, I left everybody home who I knew. Uh, met my father once for the first time at the embassy, um, and he changed my name. Uh, to an English name, and then I had to move here and assimilate, yeah. you know, speak the language and do the do and, you know, just <laughs> just yeah. get in there and roll with the punches. So that within itself was a mental health issue for me, mm. uh, the transition and the identity part. And then again, assimilation, you know, trying to orient myself here and, you know, see you know earn my bones and see what i wanted to do and where i was what language i was speaking so all those things were happening uh including health issues as well so such as you know i used to be epileptic but that changed um and then it became migraines um Mm. high school over here so a lot of things but when i tried to bring that to my mother um or my my um stepfather uh, here or my father um you know in, in our culture we don't do the whole step step yeah <laughs> no <laughs> that's your dad um, so i just said step for the americans but uh <laughs> and and the people of of non-american uh, culture who do use that term but mm-hmm. my mom was like oh please come on now like yeah. why you are here be grateful and yeah. to her it was less of invalidating all those feelings and more of, oh, please, can you just start this opportunity already? Yeah. This I've been waiting for. The visa process took years. So that was that. And then I found myself going to uh, my counselors um, in high school and saying, oh, yeah, this is how I'm feeling. These are my unprocessed feelings. But some counselors in high school, I'm sure some people might know, were just not interested. Or they were, but they were like, well, you know, too bad. Student number 400 here has an mm. issue. Um, so that was my lived experience um, up until college. So the first, um, like, four or five years of being in this country, a lot of lonesomeness in that mental health uh, uh, journey. Yeah. A lot of, um, that's when I, I began to learn what it was because I started mm. doing research. Um, I started, you know, looking into things, looking at resources, my counselors, um, a lot of them were useful um, and helpful in that sense, willingly. So some of them, you know, would give me resources, some of them wouldn't listen. Um, So that became that. Um, And I saw, you know, myself doing a lot of research in regards to just mental health and what that was. While my mom was just like, I I guess the impression uh, was, come on you're in America, <laughs> yeah. start this opportunity already, which for an immigrant parent who has worked that hard, and you know, the yeah. green passport thing, the visa thing, that was a big deal. Up until um, this year, um, when mental health became big for me, in, in yeah. the sense that I hit a lot of lows, um, whether that be the pandemic, uh, whether that be um, just reliving some truths which i had to you know reveal yeah uh, to to my you know mother um just like telling her and saying hey 
again, open source. I share this just in case someone might relate saying, yes, I've been abusing substances such mm -hmm. as alcohol and, you know, the cannabis uh, or the weed, which people smoke and I'm aware of it. Um, and again, this is how I introduced uh, the, the mental health um, subject to my mom easing everybody into that's why i'm talking so much into the the very egregious details which made yeah. her take seriously and saying hey uh again to a parent and to anyone that sounds like wait substances wait, yeah. wait, wait what are you talking about and then saying yes um you know the suicide uh that was a, a part of it for me and then again the way my parents were registering this or my mother rather was oh well Oh, okay, but please. Uh, my mom is always very open and encouraging yeah. um, in the sense that be strong. That's her motto. Be strong. Not for the sake of ignoring anything, but for the sake of getting through life, for the sake yeah. of your bones, for the sake of survival. Uh, she knows it best. Um, she you know, has been in this country for a while, also has the same exact story as me in terms of immigrating and yeah. taking advantage of opportunities. Um, so that was her motto, that my son just be strong. And then I, I had to come around full circle and say, well, the person who is speaking right now and who is emotional, things which she was observing, who tends to cry a lot and just break down, etc., is an abused child, abused mm. by three people, uh, very violated, one of them long-term for a few years. Um, and then those kinds of details you know again revealing more than you know my yearning to come here as a child yeah. more than feeling isolated and, and alienated and saying hey while you were gone and mm. making it is for me mom there were people who did violations there were people who abused you know me as a child and that took my mom for a turn like it really yeah. it, it had to really sit and process that because it was not easy at all, even for me telling her that. Um, so me telling her this was about two months ago, uh, in 20, yeah. so February of 2021, uh, if I'm correct. And by then I'd been working with um, a substance abuse counselor, so getting off that, um, and then a psychiatrist um, and a therapist. Um, so as my friends know, when I joke, my team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yes, I had my team handy. I have to acknowledge again that privilege, thanks to mm. the University of uh, Maryland, where I go for providing those, you know, health resources. Very mm. grateful, and a, a case manager um, who, who from Rest Life, um, God bless her, uh, would just check in and say, "How are you doing? You know, like what's going on?" So all that jumble, just to say. Yes, it had been happening to me. I'd experienced it. Like I say, when I name the childhood stuff, it's new to whoever I'm telling. But to me, it's, it's mm. been, it, it has existed ever since I was a child. Um, and even as trying to assimilate uh, the name change, uh, the language, yeah, being patronized. Um, and sometimes, you know, it wasn't always doom and gloom. There were high moments um, yeah. where... I joined amazing programs um, in high school. I met a lot of um, amazing people 
um, and engaged with a lot of, again, incredible <laughs> people, that's all I can say. But in many of those quote unquote happy moments, um, it became extreme for me in the sense that, you know, escapism. Like when mm. I found a moment of joy, I'll be the one laughing the hardest and making the, you know, hefty jokes um, yeah. and running the farthest from whatever it is we were <laughs> running to or away from. In the sense that, you know, when you're with friends and you, you know, you're in a head, yeah. nothing's heavy, nothing's deep. So I would go knee deep into that, um, into those things. Um, so saying all that just to say, I've always been aligned with my feelings and my mental health and what I'm feeling um, to a point where even when I talk about the team and the resources, I, I yeah. really took a lot of um, soul searching and a lot of yeah. uh, resilience and a lot of experiencing for me to even arrive at that point um, on my own. Um, and literally when I say on my own, Yes, there were counselor resources. Yes, there was this, but I emphasize the on my own part just to say, um, yeah, there, there, there were very tense points where, again, I was feeling suicidal, where I had to say, okay, what's a solid and concrete solution? Um, again, no one was encouraging a psychiatrist. Um, so even I had to overcome my own um, I guess, internalized um, notions and beliefs about that. Because I'm, I'm not going to lie, I've been told this to my therapists, um, that I was like, so you're a psychiatrist. Okay, that's medically, you know, plausible. Yeah. You know, but then you're a therapist. Like, what are, you, what are we doing? Am I paying you <laughs> yeah. to what? To listen and regurgitate? So I had all these, you know, ideas, which mm. is why when I say myself, it really took a lot of, I guess, internal conflicts and overcoming um, my already set beliefs to really even get into all of that. But um, so that is basically my journey in a nutshell where, mm. yeah, it, it took details for to get people, uh, you know, on board. Mm. Uh, but before that, it was both knowing what I'm experiencing not having the outlet because nothing was encouraged in terms of resources and help. And then having that, you know, conflict of, okay, this is now a tad to unbearable. I need to really find something sustainable. Yeah. And the team. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that Buckley. Um, we've talked about this before, so this is not new to me, but even just hearing how like the way you speak about it it seems like it was weighing so so heavily on you and that's that's the thing with childhood trauma I know a lot of people including myself who have obviously nothing comparable to what what you went through but who carry a lot of childhood trauma and the worst thing about it is that if it's not dealt with it seems to kind of like multiply as you get older and make its way into um the different areas of your life um but I'm wondering as a black African man did you ever feel like okay so a, a lot of the black men that I know in my life and men full stop but especially black African men therapy is like a no-no you know because to be vulnerable is seen as being weak and you never want to be weak as an African man did you ever deal with that kind of like struggle to say you know I'm a black African man 
I am supposed to be able to do this on my own. And it sounds like you kind of did, like you kind of process things on your own. But did you ever feel like I'm not going to talk about this or I'm not going to tell my family, my friends because of this idea that black men are supposed to be okay all the time? Oh, yes. Um, so I do... In, in my family, that's um, kind of like, you know, again, the belief that, you know, my grandmother take it to God or my yeah. mom. <laughs> my mom is a very, you know, be present type uh, lady. Uh, she's very, you know, which I really adore about her. Like, we're here because I've even asked her before. I remember there was a question where I was like, mom, how do you feel? And she said, oh, I feel fine. My bones. I was like, mom, internally, how do you feel? Mm. And then she had to pause and say, I can't even go there. Like that's what yeah. she talked that I'm taking care of you and your siblings. Mm. Um, my dear siblings, I have a brother and a sister younger. She was like, once I start doing what you do, which we were laughing about it and sitting down and dissecting all these feelings, things will fall apart. I need to keep going and keep my head strong. Again, I think she has that, you know, verb of just, you know, the immigrant who made it work <laughs> yeah. and who's now here and who finally got a visa uh, for her son. So that was just her, you know, mindset as a mom, like, I want to see you succeed and be successful. So to me, it became a lot of that, you know, even as, you know, a Zimbabwean, um, even as, you know, the, the immigrant who made it out, you know, the mm. black man who made it out because that's who I, I, I am or was um, in my community. I'm sure a lot of people have joined me here. Um, and here we are. <laughs> but, <laughs> in America. But, um, uh, you know, the diaspora, we're always moving. Yeah. But um, so that's, and, and I have to acknowledge that in my family, um, there, was, there were a few people who thought differently. So my aunt, for example, mm. um, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble for this, but I call her my favorite aunt for a reason. Um, <laughs> Kanye's mom, who, you know, basically treats she was very refreshing she treats mm -hmm. you accordingly as in as an adult there's no patronizing there's no you know and not saying patronizing as in that's why you know that's the default for anything yeah. but she really really shaped us to be just adults like yeah mm. you're 18 that means something it means you're mature now you're not just you know another kid you know, as, you know, many Zimbabwean households might, <laughs> you know, look like. So she yeah. was the one who kind of, even when I was telling her about my mental health in 2018, when I went to South Africa, um, you know, I'm from America and I have all this perspective, so I'm going to tell you about it. That's mm. what I was going on. Um, and I went to her and said, yeah, you know, these feelings, mental health, yes, it's a thing. Yes, we are very Black and very African, but it, it's a thing. And in America, and then she did her spiel of, you know, just yeah. make sure you don't do drugs and because that's always the, the beginning or become homeless. Um, yeah, and and so that was that. Mm. Um, again, you know, that's a separate discussion. I feel like I'm wrong yeah. because homelessness, that doesn't mean, you know, one thing can affect her. So saying that just to say, yes, I always say as a black man, as an African black man, uh, as a Zimbabwean black man, a Bulawayo black man, a Woodville black man, I was raised by black women. Mm. Um, but 
again to address your question of just trying here i'm just i'm doing a little exercise you know just orienting myself with mental yeah. health because uh, it's also still new to me as well although i've been in therapy before you know a few years but to me i've always been raised by black women uh so if i reference anything culturally uh that's mainly who i'm talking about my aunts yeah. um my mom my grandma uh yes i do have uncles you you know stuck around but like my biological father uh, sadly a lot of men in my family you know either alcoholics they either ran away um or they're either the point where i'm getting it the legitimate source of the whole mental health issue <laughs> that a lot of kids face in my family yeah um so that was that for me i guess um mm. yeah a lot of just unanswered questions a lot of just soul searching a lot of a lot of confusion and as i mm. began um 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 the podcast with you uh, answering your question that's that's just what mental health was um or mm. still is me right now just a big ball of confusion mm. uh, a big ball of answering a lot of questions and when you put race into it um as a black man um i guess to me it's less uh personal and less family in terms of the reception for that nowadays um and how it's being perceived and how i'm perceived uh because i've been very vocal about my mental health challenges so my family now kind of gets it in the sense that again back to my other point that it took details yeah to sympathize and for them to to um really empathize and say okay this is serious is not just you know the brat who made it to america but still doesn't realize his privilege because uh, that's kind of what that was um so saying that just to say as a black man from my community um that's something i've observed even in in with some of my other black males and black friends um or african american or from wherever um that there's this thing in our community of course not all encompassing of you know be strong and not only be strong because you're black but be strong because you know what are you going to do when the cop pulls a gun on you what are you mm. going to do when with the microaggressions at school what are you going to yeah. do people are patronizing you in the workspace um what are you going to just as a black person what are you going to do in terms of if not being resilient and strong mm. so i think the roots of all of that talk come from there you know be strong because being black is already hard enough. Yeah. Um but not imposing my own experience, but I think in our community there's always that aha moment. Mm. That egregious detail that makes people pay attention. Now shout out to all the black people out there and Africans who address these things and who you know do the do. But yeah. I think even just historically, you know, reading it's not like a black DNA trait. Even reading history, you know, how oppressors tried to stop black people from processing their feelings, you yeah. know, justifying it by the Bible, colonialism, yeah. you know. You know, the the whole undoing of just yeah. black consciousness and black bodies miseducation and stuff. So that's my context on that. Uh but I think for those who break away from it, um in terms of addressing mental health um in my community i haven't seen much of it being done in Zimbabwe though um 
like that serious reckoning of okay mm. which is why my I think thoughts, it's yeah which is why my thoughts are very jumbled because yeah from what, <laughs> yeah from what i've seen just to keep it concise mental health is taken seriously in my own particular Zimbabwean community of Lawayo when the person reveals again an egregious detail I have another mm. cousin who said I was abused on a wheelbarrow mm. and then that took you know listening and saying oh wait mental health oh this is what you mean because uh, even for my own mother when I shared my details it was Oh, so that's what you mean by therapy. Oh, that's why you need some of, you know, the medications you've been on in the past. Oh, that's what you mean by... And now my mom's messaging um, is never skip therapy. Mm. Again. But a few months ago, it was, please keep your head down and focus on what's important as in, you know. Yeah, so that's that's the the... The, the dense and complicated answer mm. <laughs> to my orientation with um, mental health within my own community in which yeah. I, that is a lot of, at least from my own experience. Yeah, again, it's that thing over there, which yeah. just look at, and you know, you do all the stipulations, you examine it, you experience it. Because um, even me nowadays, like even after, you know, the team and everything, and even after talking for the past, I don't know, like five minutes, it's still a thing over there for me. Yeah, and I, I still address it that way when I answer even simple questions that I have to hear that bit around the bush and I have to, you know, closely examine it. But yeah. what, is, what am I experiencing? Because it's also new to me. I started... Um, therapy and psychiatry exactly two years ago mm. um and as a lot of people know uh you don't just hit jackpot and find someone compatible um it either works or it doesn't so there's all yeah. this there's also been you know shifts um in that regard and even when it comes to race um what it means to work with a white woman uh therapist as a black woman as a black man and what it means to work with a black man what it means to and even questioning that, is this even legitimate? You know, this is a profession which people just learn about um, and get degrees for and training. Mm. But there's also that added value, I guess, with a black therapist, you know, the lived experience. Or even if they didn't live the experience, you know, we're not monoliths. They yeah. kind of are part of the community and have a sense of what that is. Yeah. Uh, but again, as you can hear with all my answers, it's still that <laughs> that thing over there. Yeah. Yeah. You you said a lot that I, I want to touch on. So the first thing is I feel like from hearing you speak and from what I know, um, I've had conversations in the past with other people about mental health as a BIPOC person. And it seems like there's always a generational divide. The Our parents, because they had to... I, I don't want to say that they they are going through things that are harder than us, but they lived in a time where you really just had to put your head down to make it. You were saying about your mom as an immigrant parent that she she ha I'm sure it was hard for her to leave you at home as well, you know, so she had to come here go through the whole immigration process, which is a whole other traumatic experience 
bring her son here. I can think of my parents as well, my grandma who grew up in colonial Zimbabwe, who just really had to put her head down despite things that she had been through and say, look, I mean, she went to work. She left her family at the age of 13 to work for a white family in colonial Zimbabwe so that she could she could make it and just, you know, break break barriers, break glass ceilings, you know. And so I think there's always a generational divide that's tricky to navigate because for us, we are, I don't want to say that we are, you know, we have it good, but we are living in a time where more more and more people are talking about it and that enables us to finally take the step to say, hey, look, I'm really struggling with this. But you started doing that at a young age. I'm I'm so impressed that you were so aware of your emotions because I definitely could not have been so open about what I was going through. I mean, it took me until college, you know, you started doing that in high school. So yeah, I think that's something that's really tricky to navigate. And then on the topic of colonization and how that affected mental health there's actually you know you were saying that you don't see it being addressed in Zimbabwe as much but I think with this generation now there's a lot more conversations on social media there's this one platform called create zim and it's a whole Instagram page dedicated to mental health in Zimbabwean youth but what's interesting is that there's this other organization called the friendship bench And it's basically these grandmas like your gogo and my gogo who would sit at a bench in a village. Then they bring or they whoever whoever wants to talk, they bring, you know, women, girls, men. They sit on the bench and they talk to the grandma and that's their therapy session. And so the grandma will write things down. And I I would like to believe that before colonization, as you were saying, you know, we were already doing those things. But then we got colonized, they brought in the Bible and they, not only did they racialize mental health, but they also Christianitified it, if that's a word, like Christianized it, you know, to the point where it suddenly became this thing that was foreign to us as Africans, um, even though it was something that we were probably already doing. And when I, whenever I think of, you know, mental health or taking care of our communities or the climate crisis, I'm always reminded of the indigenous American communities who, whenever I hear them speak, you can tell that they know what to do with this land. And they were doing so many things to protect their communities um, before they were colonized. And now Americans are suddenly like, or descendants of colonizers I guess are suddenly like oh no what do we do you know this generation is more anxious and depressed than ever the world is falling apart you know the 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 climate is is trash but these are communities that have been doing these things for generations before but then you came here and you took away our practices and you invalidated what we were doing so yeah I think with mental health there's just it's not a topic that can be covered in you know the short time that we're talking about but I think there's so much to consider especially if you are a white person listening to this or if you are you know someone who is of not marginalized if you're in a majority Um, identity then that's something that you should really take into account is how has mental health or how can we decolonize mental health and I think it starts by looking back at what our ancestors did or what the people in our villages are doing and maybe that's not everywhere because as you said it's it's take it to God is the the narrative that we hear 
but there are places where people were lucky enough to not be influenced by colonization. I wanted to to go back to your struggles with substance abuse and like suicide ideation when you are in or when you struggled with that and you don't have to answer again if you don't want to but when you were struggling with that when you were dealing with that can you describe what it's like to go through that and then how do you pull yourself or how did you pull yourself out of that because I can imagine it's such a like a heavy place to be in and to be dealing with all of that on your own how did you how did you work through that was it all therapy oh yeah and, and to, to acknowledge this first but wow i didn't know about the the um the bench in zimbabwe oh yeah with, grand, <laughs> with, with uh grandma and all the other reasons and, and, and the younger generation you know diaspora you kind of just find your little corner at least for me mm. but yeah I, I'll, I'll definitely look into that um those resources as well but uh to answer your question uh in terms of substance abuse i felt the need to say it you know for some Mm -hmm. of these things um in my mental health journey what i saw as most helpful uh for me was to not be precious about this issue to not be to not have such a heightened sense of like self-regard like oh i'm buckley oh i did you know quote-unquote drugs or marijuana because i okay that's the only thing i did don't all be quoting me now and saying you know molly and crack uh i'm in solidarity with those communities um and i hope they find their healing but for me it was only uh and resources most importantly uh from the country um programs and stuff but for me it was uh marijuana abuse and the way i got introduced to it um was you know like everybody else people did it in high Mm. school uh but then in high school i was so college minded um and so i don't want to go home minded in the sense that you know not anything drastic but you know i i feel unheard and my mental health is being overlooked um where am i i have a new name i want to go back home etc but i'm here for the opportunities so all that conflict so for me it was a lot of that you know that like i said before five years of just searching searching you know trying to communicate uh trying to find a therapist whatever that meant because i had my internal mm. feelings about that uh piano i can now strum the piano self-taught that was mm. kind of like the medicine as well and then i got so heavily into reading um i mean tony morrison i have a cop everywhere <laughs> for people who know um buckley cannot go a conversation without mentioning tony morrison, tony morrison. at all tony morrison <laughs> is that important that i just she's, she's here um in spirit in text um and in healing and the reason mm. why i also cherish um tony morrison so much is because again with my mental health i felt very unheard um, I felt, of course, mm. maybe different context, uh, different subject, but to me, she's the author um, who really taught me how to live in the sense that when I listened to all of her interviews with Charlie Rose, 
um, etc., uh, should be the one to say, well, my thing or my life's work is to centralize the black person and the black story yeah. uh, without the white, you know, gaze. And I come from a colonial, you know, former colony. I come from that kind of community where, you know, when you talk about white people, it's oh my God, white people. So yeah, there was this glory for um, whiteness and white people. But then Toni Morrison was kind of those, you know, voices that kind of, Again, the, the whole identity thing, my identity crisis, um, being feeling alienated, um, coming into this country headfirst in terms of race mm -hmm. and how it's addressed. So this, to me, uh, was very sacred, per se, uh, mm -hmm. just her words and her perspective. Of course, speaking on you know the African-American experience, but to me, that was very relatable, that, hey, mm. as Black people, um, you talked about decolonizing mental health, um, even decolonizing life. That was big for me. Like yeah. my name being changed from, you know, a Debella name to an English name and then having to change. I know that that's symbolic for, for colonialism, but it, it did make me feel some sort of way to have a, yeah. a white name I didn't, knew nothing about um, and to just, yeah, speak the language, et cetera. So all of that was at play. All of that uh, was at play for me. Um, and even success, um, I remember even thinking about things like, hey, I need to go to Stanford. I need to go to you know, Harvard. That's kind of like measure of, I guess, doing life and being American, et cetera. And then that not even you know applying to some of those schools and being scared. So that, that was just a lot going on. And then I was like, you know what? Those kids in those kids in high school uh, had a point with the weed. What is this? And then when <laughs> no, and not saying it jokingly, that's exactly what went through my mind. I was like, you know, those kids who came from rough households, because I used to be a tutor mm. as well in high school. I used to be a tutor uh, for the minority scholars program, um, and people would some not everyone. I'm sure I saw like two or three people in high school, which just smoke mm. weed and say, hey, I come from a rough household. It is what it is. And then, of course, my reaction, thinking of what my aunts told me about not doing drugs, et cetera. Weed? Mm. Oh, the FBI? You go to prison? But then fast forward two years later, I was like, yeah, I wasted weed. Um, <laughs> and then I started um, smoking it on campus um, mm. to a point where I got caught um, in my dorm. Uh, yes. Mm. So I got caught in my dorm. Uh, the police officers came in, uh, not the police officers, but uh, UMPD. Uh, the campus. Yeah, the campus. Security. Yeah, and I, again, I say this open source in the sense that the way I've, you know, cho chose or chosen to confront this um, is just by honesty and not being precious about it and not omitting details mm. and saying, ooh, what can I hide? No. Um, to me, where I come from with that is that, you know, 22 i've lived i've been through a lot of things but there's a whole life ahead so i kind of have to mm. leave the baggage behind um such as the the you know substance abuse or even lying about it uh, and pretend mm. because with you know lies and hiding comes you know the issue resurfacing again i think uh, yeah. so with the substance abuse um that's how it began so all of that happening just a lot of stuff even the piano wasn't working anymore the reading tony morrison was helping but 
again with some of her books you kind of you're kind of reminded that hey you, this is real like come on mm. um so then i yeah found you know we i i started doing that um and then alcohol i was known by my friends even in college um to drink the whole bottle um people would be oh. drinking um at a party like oh yeah turn up oh where's the alcohol oh you drank the whole bottle so i was that guy uh drink the mm. whole bottle uh smoke all the weed um on site um so that became that um, it didn't interfere with my studies my school uh because to me the greatest thing um was that thing I'm, i was trying to run from you know weed is on the yeah. temporary feeling but yeah you get high you laugh you get drunk well you go back to that if it's not addressed so i that was the looming and 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 you know mm. persistent thing just the things i was trying to run away from the jumble yeah um and all my therapists can recall me saying it could, the way i define my mental health is is this you know cognitive jump jumble this cognitive marathon where you know i'm here i'm there i don't know nobody knows so marijuana made sense and alcohol made sense um being distant to people made sense um keeping to myself uh made sense and writing made sense i i yeah. thought um but a lot of my writing um i've seen as evolved um at that place when i began um smoking the marijuana like two years ago um or three uh rather yeah three um was when even the writing was very dark there were a lot of you know suicide notes just to touch up even on the suicide um suicide notes not as in i'm planning and i'm gonna be dead by tomorrow but as in you know wow if this goes on for another month um mm. i'm out of here and weed is expensive like i won't be <laughs> i won't be able to afford <laughs> this escape uh forever honey and alcohol oh, expensive too and i'm a student so i was like all right all right like how how long so it came that okay. yeah honestly no it's like confronting it head on those are the things that's yeah. going on in my mind um and i i really and i think that's also what um put me in this headspace to just admit and confront wrong mm. because that's something I, i've learned uh, throughout the years even during um the substance abuse during the mental health um during all that stuff is that all of my issues rather um were solved to some degree if i named them um i told my mother i looked my mother my own mother well we're on the phone but i told her and said yes marijuana yeah and mm. and she understood again but this is when i was telling her the egregious details of you know what happened um as child but i saw that it would be better for me and beneficial for my progress and my healing you know and with the substance abuse abuse uh, coach and the assistance for me to really you know name the issue and really own up to mm. um first without the context of yeah i was going through a rough patch and saying yes i i did uh do this um the mm. marijuana the substance abuse and the alcohol abuse starting there and then focusing on the semantics of how to heal that and how to go about doing it and even my mom was like wow you talk cuz i could have lied and said well 
I've like some problem, which I yeah. Start, but I saw it so valuable for me to just tell her that. Um, and what happened was um, when I got caught with the substance abuse uh, or with the weed, it, like that's how in in, in such that's how terrible this my headspace was that I wasn't even going outside, but I was in my dorm uh, doing it. Um, and then the RA came and said, are you smoking? I said, yes. She said, yeah, I said, yes. And the director came uh, with UMPD and then UMPD uh, was like, oh yeah, wait, where's the rest? I was like, yeah, here. Um, mm. Yeah, here, here's the Maron. I complied. And the way uh, the University of Maryland handles things, um, they, for the most part, it's, you know, students' well-being first. So there was no prison or anything. It was, um, what is going on? What's the issue? And then the way the school addresses mm. it is, okay, we're going to set you up with some sessions at the health center um, and see how this goes. But I already had sessions, which I was yeah. defaulting on. Um, and again, I, I was feeling a lot of things at the moment. To the point where when, when that happened, I complied. Um, what happened, happened. I told my mom. Um, I was very open about it. Um, to a point where when that happened, I was like, well, uh, I'm a reputations kind of person, too. So that was hard, being honest. I was like, oh, well, now people know I do, you know, marijuana and that I did alcohol, yeah. uh, mental health, uh, pills. And then that's where the suicide attempt um, happened. So this was like... Um, a few months ago. Um, and then I ended up at a psych ward, like a hospital. Again, open source. And then now we're here. But what did happen during that hospital experience was, again, me just examining everything and saying, okay, this is fumble I'm trying to run away from. I'm trying to smoke away. I'm trying to drink away. What is it? Um, and then coming full circle after that hospital experience, that's when I had to sit down with my mom. And she was like, why would you be suicidal? What about your grandma? What about your... Yeah. And I said, because I was abused by three people sexually as a child. Because I'm carrying these emotions and because you don't see me, I'm an assumption to you. That's me to my mother. Yeah. And then that's, again, me, that, that's, that became the valuable approach to me and not to blame people but just to say well this is the context of why i'm mm -hmm. doing what i'm doing of why i'm so lost and so troubled yeah it's not just oh you know we 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 you know american you know dream gone left because i got a tesla and not a porsche so it wasn't really any of that it was yeah i'm really feeling things and not to say that's an invalid issue you know it's all relative but um, I, I, that's that's what that was for me, uh, and why I'm so open about it. That I was like, hey, I might as well go clean right now and mm. just be honest with myself and with the people I love and care for, and with someone who mm. might learn something from my, you know, story. I was even telling the guys on my floor and girls who witnessed uh, that whole scenario uh, with being caught. I, I was saying, I, because they were like, are you okay? Did you go to prison? And I was like, no, take the. <laughs> as a teachable moment. I'm sure you've had many, mm. but take this as number, you know, 500, number two, number one, of not what not to do, or cause you know, I was going through things, but of taking care of yourself and taking that very seriously, um, paying attention to what you're feeling 
going to therapy and addressing things head on. Otherwise, it does go south for a lot of people. Yeah. For some, it's not even marijuana or, or alcohol. It's, you know, the hard drugs. It's suicide. Some people see it through. Um, so to me, that's why I share my story. That's why I speak to people. And that's why I try to, so it's less of an imposition, um, as in I don't want to just shock people. Uh, yeah. So I try to ease into it and say, hey, less of the sad details and more of what did I gain from that experience mm. or what changed? And for me, it was, again, seeing the value of life, um, seeing the value of addressing things. Um, seeing the value of breaking away from some narratives and norms that, hey, you're a black man, deal with it. Or you're an immigrant, deal with it. Uh, you have opportunities now, because I think that's usually um, the impediment or the setback for a lot of people in my community in terms of mental health. But hey, you made it up. You now have opportunities. You now have newfound you know, economic privilege deal with it like what else what are you crying for um so i that that those are the things i also had to learn that hey just because you migrate just because things become better in a material sense um just because you get the job or you get the what what's always important in terms of the core of self-care is to just listen to your heart and address yeah. and address those needs yeah mm. And yeah. how, you wow. them, how you address them is important because for me, for, for a second, what was feasible and doable was the quick fix, the quick temporary mm. fix of the marijuana and the alcohol. But then long term, I say, oh, hold on now. Now that's memory loss and that's kidney poisoning. That's yeah. a whole lot of money. It is expensive. Yeah. That's mainly what I live with. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah to be on substances and abuse them so that even i think did a great deal of not making me take therapy seriously but also being very open-minded about it because uh, mm. that's not all it takes for therapy um this i impose on purpose <laughs> yeah like it doesn't take you know oh i showed up every day it takes being open minded it takes admitting and being honest with yourself and saying yes i'm abusing substances yes this is what i'm feeling yes this is exactly how i addressed it and this is my truth because uh, mm. a reason why i'm also so open um not just in therapy and with friends and families because when i began therapy i omitted a lot of details um well just because that was my comfort level and not encouraging yeah. people to just share what they're uncomfortable with but for me what worked uh, was to really unjumble the jumble with all the details that I could to really pinpoint and say, hey, what is this? What am I going mm. Yeah, wow. Just to summarize, so um, name name the feeling without providing context. Just name how you're feeling and be honest with yourself about it. Then provide context without blaming anyone about what you're going through and speak your truth really and then work from there I think that's that's really good um I don't want to say advice because you're not providing advice this is your personal experience but I think that's that's a great way to start especially being honest with yourself because the moment 
Like when you're when you're lying to yourself, that's really a problem. When you start when you're lying to other people, that's okay. Like you were saying, you know, that's your comfort level to admit the truth. But when you're lying to yourself, I think that says that speaks volumes about what's really going on in your mind. And that's when you need to start taking it more seriously. Um, but you've talked a lot about how therapy, psychiatry, you know, your whole your whole team, your squad has helped you get through this. But those resources are not accessible to everyone, whether it's because of price or location or you no know, stigma before you had those resources available to you what did you do to take care of your mental health if anything or what have you done now like in your day-to-day when you are not going to therapy or to see a psychiatrist what do you do without those resources i'm forced to humanize myself really Mm. and what i mean by that um is at first glance even the way i used to see this um people when i saw people with um battling with a lot of things so whether that be substance abuse or alcohol abuse um i did have stigma i did have those judgments of oh get it together again i was yeah i was hearing it at home get it together um what is going on like people do drugs like who's doing that um but again i had to i humanize myself as in I'm a human being, as, as opposed to I'm a mess, you know, how that's the yeah. talk of the internet. I'm a mess. I need to get my, you know, bleep together or, you know, I'm behind or and then I start comparing myself to that, you know, those interns um, on the on the on those websites and then et cetera. So I, I, I had to say to myself without therapy and without the resources, because they were um, a challenge to get. Not because yeah. people didn't offer them, but because again, I didn't know about them. I didn't. Yeah. My insurance wasn't, you know, covering some of it. I had to change insurance to school insurance. So that whole uh, logistical debacle. Um, but before that, um, it became so unbearable for me uh, that I had to humanize myself and say, "Hey, I'm not just you know MS or yeah. crazy or out of my mind or whatever." I'm a human being with unmet needs. I just start mm. there. I am a human being with unmet needs. For some people, it's love. For some people, it's affection. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's self-discovery. And for me, well, Seth, it was all those things. But um, <laughs> I became a human being with unmet needs. You know, the boy mm. met his father once. So the need was closure from that. The boy yeah. who um, had to assimilate um, and speak a foreign language. And then I guess the unmet need there was, you know, a sense of belonging. Um, mm. Just because of how it was done. Again, being thrown headfirst into a whole opportunity, which again, I'm grateful for, that's implied. But then the need being taking a breath slowing down, easing into. Yeah. Uh, so all those needs were unmet, um, even how I process my feelings. Again, if you're hearing at home that, hey, get it together. Just, you know, you're going to school, you have a roof over your head. Um, there are people out there, it could be worse, which it could be. Um, so also that need of validating myself, um, because it, to me it became, um, and I have a lot of friends who do this, and I know a lot of people who do this, um, who say, hey, yeah, I'm struggling, but what about her? It could be worse. And then we kind of 
neglect ourselves because that usually for me doesn't come from a place of kindness. It comes from a place of guilt. Um, I was very guilty, uh, at least for me, um, in terms of putting myself first. I was like, well, there are kids who are micronutrient you know, deficient. Why can I, should I sit here and think about my father who ran? Yeah. What is that? Um, it's not imminent or, you know, whatever. But I had to humanize myself to really arrive at that point of, okay, what am I feeling? There's no therapy. Um, and I've read all the books. I mean, there's so much reading you can do. Um, so I ended up listening to music. To me, music was very big yeah. in my healing process. To a point where I wanted to make it, I ended up um, teaching myself how to play the piano. I played so yeah. terribly, but I played. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't, can't read music. I play from ear. Mm. Can't play anything classical, but I compose. Uh, yeah. I'm into ambient music. Um, hammock, mm. hammock, shout out to them. Um, these two composers who compose music. I was always to... Um, the teenager who would not watch the movie because I cared about what was going on, but because of how the soundtrack would sound um, linked to an emotion, a visible emotion. You know, you see people acting and then there's a soundtrack. So that's what I would do. I would go to movies, um, sadly gravitate towards the tragic ones, you know, the husband who is, you know, the alcoholic or whatever. But again, trauma. I think a lot of my trauma put me in that position to just try to understand what I was feeling or why it happened by watching a lot of uh, sad films. But what came out of that was the music um, and even listening to artists. Um, I mean, I can go from Mariah Carey and Coldplay to um, No Name uh, yeah. and Mos Def. Um, and those people who really speak through their lyrics of, okay, mm. what is life? What is happening? Yeah. My favorite song is Everything Is Not Lost from Coldplay. Uh, one of my favorite songs. Yeah. So to me, that was my, I guess, way of handling it, of saying, okay, I have unmet needs. One of them is, I guess, understanding what I'm going through or validating myself. So a lot of music helped me arrive at that point that hey I'm yeah. the only one you know these are real feelings you know which I'm going through um, and these are the needs which I need to address hence my fight to um, find therapy and to you know come up with that team fight as in you know you have to go through the whole financial debacle the insurance debacle like the yeah even finding like I said before a therapist and saying okay are we compatible are we working well together I have a friend who just told me that a therapist looked at her in the eye and said, oh, you have a problem in a very <laughs> condescending way. <laughs> so see, Of course I have a problem. I'm in therapy. <laughs> she looked at her in the eye and said, mm, you have a problem. And I was like, oh my so God. sometimes, yeah, see? <laughs> so saying all that just to say the way I handled it personally was again that process of humanizing myself. And to me, mm-hmm. what worked was music lyrics yeah. like i'm saying I, I never listened to lyrics before lyrical content but then i saw myself curating you know who i was listening to 
of course, Toni Morrison books. Uh, this book right here is called The Source of Some. I just want the listeners to know <laughs> that whenever, because they can't see, but whenever Buckley says Toni Morrison, he lifts up the book and shows it to the camera and he's done that like five times now no honest i mean get to it you're either with the program or you're not and this is the tony morrison program <laughs> so the book i'm reading right now again it's called the source of self-regard my therapist mm. is on vacation right now and i don't say that jokingly i mean it <laughs> Justin is on vacation. So, so Tony is Tony is your stand-in yeah. friend. Tony is here mm. telling me about you know black matters, telling me about <laughs> yeah you know about God's language. There's a chapter on that. Um, yeah, the writer before the page, and the reason why again I don't just bring up Tony Morrison randomly, but again writing when yeah. therapist is inaccessible or before I did that um, I wrote uh, I wrote a lot um, I listened to music uh, um, I tried to compose um, terribly so but you know but yeah so highly encourage those um, even yoga I have a friend mm. who introduced me to yoga another thing too I'll emphasize um, is that never think that something doesn't work without trying until you without try. trying it out because mm. when people told me about yoga and meditation i was like i don't know what do i look like i'm gonna sit and <laughs> mad and, and stretch for what um but when i tried it um tried it out uh, the yoga i really did feel calm um my mm. therapist and i tried paired muscle relaxation but that's just to say we found it on the internet so for people who can't uh, access I read, read, readily access a therapist at the moment. I highly recommend those things. You know, the paired muscle relaxations. Um, I've been going to a lot of psychology, you know, blogs, mm. websites who do give uh, some of these resources, even now, especially now during the pandemic. Yeah. There's a lot of resources out there in terms of, <clears throat> yeah, it's not all encompassing. It's not the final fix. Even therapy takes a lot of years, but it yeah. is something. To work on if mm. if you already don't have something you know working for you um and yeah grab yourself a ton morrison book put on no name and do this yoga which i'm still <laughs> uncomfortable doing but you know i am breathing a little better ever since starting mm. so yeah yeah all that to You'll say yeah all that to say if mental health is a joke in your household or your circle you know, it's all about your internal voice and what you listen to. Your body will, yeah. your body will speak, whether that's sleep deprivation, whatever that is. Listen to your heart, to your body, and to your mind, and and address that. Mm. Yeah, even if you come from a household, which says get it together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And if you if you send me some of those resources, I can link them below, like free therapy or the meditation that you're doing. I can link them in the show notes um, for our listeners. But I, yeah, I have a cousin. He's 10 years old and he's at this pivotal stage in his life where he's really starting to come into his identity and understand how the world works and how he fits into it. Um, 
And so he'll come to me sometimes and just like open up and say, hey, this is really hard at school. I'm, you know, I, but he, he's very dramatic. He'll be like, oh, my life is just so hard and I'm so stressed. <laughs> but I, I love that he, he trusts me enough to come and say, hey, I'm struggling. And he hasn't been told or he hasn't been indo- indoctrinated with the idea that as a young black man, he shouldn't be sensitive, you know? Whenever he's crying or he comes to me and says, you know, I'm this is really hard. I'm always like, you know, it's okay that you're going that going through that. It's okay to cry, but I just need you to explain to me more clearly because he does this thing where when he's upset, he starts to talk quietly. (laughs) So I, I always try my best to to acknowledge and validate his feelings. But what 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 do you want young black boys like him to know who are? coming into their identity you know he's just three years younger than the age you were at when you came to the states what would you say to him as he is you know starting to open up about his feelings and emotions to him i would say right um Mm. and i say i I, he's not gonna like that he does not like to read or write (laughs) to him um to anyone i would say right but not right in a way which works for you um, mm. In the sense that w- my challenge with writing is that I think it has to be, you know, prose and polished and whatever. But I have siblings. Um, so my sister right now is 15 and my brother is 13. And I tell them, I say, write a story. Mm. Put yourself on paper. Um, make up a character. Um, and subscribe, you know, some of the things you are feeling on them. Like, it, let it out through that character mm. uh, but that's just my own <clears throat> um biased advice i guess as in you know i'm a literary fanatic like i love books write yes write a song write a story mm. just write something journal write a poem because the reason why i say write before even suggesting anything else uh before i even suggest talking to someone else uh, for your cousin is to make sense of, of, you know, those feelings of what's going on, not in a very, you know, manufactured way of from A to Z, you know, that's what you do, you know, now next phase when you're talking to, you know, Montino, your bigger sister, but how is he experiencing? What is he experiencing and how is he perceiving? And I think with writing that comes easily. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for your very open and honest answers. I know you kept saying open source <laughs> to, to signify that you, you know, you're so open about your struggles. Um, and I know that a lot of people who will listen to this will appreciate or people who are listening to this appreciate your your candor and your vulnerability. Um, so as I as we come to the tail end of this conversation, let's do a temperature check. How are you feeling? How was this conversation? How how are you feeling right now? Was anything challenging, particularly to to recount everything that you've been through? Uh, I am feeling I'm feeling good actually. Mm. Yes, there's something very good to me. I guess in terms of feeling, but just sharing. Um, and even just being open and speaking and and it's part of my healing process 
uh, whether it's on a platform or whether it's to a friend or most importantly, where I always go, whether in writing, when I let something out, because uh, I think that's also something um, which not even just my community, but everyone should be doing um, to really confront those feelings, to really examine them. So this, me speaking, yeah, it, it really put me in a good headspace for the day that, hey, it's a process. Um, we're only human and life is for living. You know, you live it and you experience things. Uh, and then it becomes a lot about what you do about it uh, and what you make of it. Um, so, yeah, so I'm feeling very good. And, you know, I'm knitting a scarf. <laughs> what i had no idea <laughs> yeah i have a scar look this is what i do do you do that during your classes oh yes even now like i was yeah. knitting a little bit um so again <laughs> that's my own way of you know staying calm staying present um mm. hearing and being receptive um i take what my grandmother gave me which was the gift of knitting mm. um because she we would need scarves and you know she would say Who, who's going to the to to the city and who has the money for it so you better make yourself something. yeah so yeah i love that yeah and that goes back to what i was saying earlier about looking at what our ancestors did i was just thinking my grandma and her village they were all and this is something that's very typical of shana culture is we are very crafty we make sculptures we use our hands to create doilies all those things and I can see how something like that could be therapeutic or cathartic and maybe that's something that they did and now you are doing it you know as a gift from your grandma as you said so I love that just bring it full circle make your scarf <laughs> the winter is <laughs> yes make your scarf what is coming <laughs> yeah um but Buckley thank you so much this was such a great conversation and I hope you you know feed off of this good energy that you're feeling to propel you through the rest of your day and the summertime yes thank you thanks for having me and yes young money <laughs> <laughs> I had to say what <laughs> <laughs> Right, listeners, thanks so much for spending some of your precious time with me throughout this episode. As always, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and other things on Instagram at and other things potty for more valuable content. This podcast was written, hosted and produced by me. Have a most magnificent day. Thank you.